The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, exploring the um, Four Noble Truths in this class, the last weeks, and um, been talking a lot about the First Noble Truth, the truth of suffering. The Four Noble Truths, I'll just recap a little bit. Um, The Four Noble Truths are one of the foundational teachings that the Buddha offered in terms of understanding our, um, our predicament, our human predicament. In his own journey, he, um, he explored and had the question, is it possible to be free of suffering, to be free of distress? And th- his journey was motivated by that question. He found various teachings in the time of in the time when he was around and practiced with various teachers, and they gave him some ways to relieve his distress for the time that he was meditating. But he found when he came out of those meditation states, those concentration states, very lovely states, um, that the the situation was the same. That he he wasn't really experiencing the the kind of understanding and release from the distress of the world, around the world, that he was searching for. And so he he began to explore things in a different way, rather than just concentrating his mind. My understanding is he began investigating. What is this suffering? What is going on in here? And, and in, in some ways this makes a lot of sense. If this is the question that he's trying to solve, if this is the problem or the, what he's looking at, is, is it possible to be free from distress or suffering, this Pali word dukkha? Then maybe the first thing he should do is sit down and begin to really understand what happens, how it's put together, what's going on. And that's what... I understand that he did. He sat down and started looking at his mind and began to see the kind of the way our human experience uh, participates, the way our our own hearts and minds participate in the construction of how and why we suffer. And so he discovered this possibility of freedom from suffering. The, The first noble truth is just this statement that, yes, there is suffering. As human beings, there is suffering. We suffer from so many uh, situations in the world. But the pointing that the Buddha found is in terms of freedom from suffering. He realized, I think, that um, um, the, the conditions of the world are, are not under our control. And what is, what is the place where there might be some traction for finding some freedom is within our own minds and own hearts, in our relationship to what's happening in the world, and our relationship to the conditions of the world. And so this is, this is a piece that he explored, is, is that relationship. What is the, how am I in relationship to all of these things that happen, all of the conditions of the world? And the second noble truth is a pointing to a particular relationship that tends to get us caught. This relationship of the, the Pali word is tanha, 
of um, often translated as craving, but literally it means thirst. Essentially this um, kind of a, a perspective or a view in the mind that, um, that I cannot be okay unless something changes. That, that the craving is, is kind of, there's a belief wrapped up in the craving that there's no way for this being to have ease of heart or peace of mind unless something else changes. Unless the situation outside changes, unless my old, if, unless I was raised in a different way or given a different body or a different something, there would be no way to be happy. And the Buddha discovered that this, this craving, there's this, the, the, that this view that there's no way to be happy unless something else changes, that that is a mistake. And so the, the pointing here is to something in our own minds that is contributing to our distress, that that can be released, that we can be free of that activity in the mind that has us in um, kind of fighting with fighting with the situations fighting with the the conditions in the world fighting with our history fighting with how we are and so he he discovered this possibility of that 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 if that craving releases Actually, the second noble truth is phrased in a way that's different than, I mean, my understanding in the Pali, the the phrasing is a little different than what we typically hear, which is the second noble truth is that craving is the cause of suffering. The wording, the Pali wording, is something along the lines of, with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. And so in a way, the craving is the suffering. The craving is the... It's like every suffering that, uh, that we are experiencing. When we are experiencing suffering, there's something in the middle there, this, this seed of craving that is possible to release. And so this is the, the, the third noble truth, that with the releasing or ending of that craving is the ending of suffering. Now the um, the ending of that craving or the ending of the wanting things, the ending of that kind of belief, let's say, because it's very bound up with the belief that something else has to change, um, that that we have to have something, um, something else has to change in order for me to be happy. Um, the ending of that craving does not mean that we would, you know, we, we might think that that would just mean, you know, if, if, if there's no craving for something to be different, no, no like movement in the direction to, to, to change the situation in the world from this perspective of craving, that there would be no changing in the world that we wouldn't be motivated to do something in the world. And yet the, the, what seems to happen as, the, as that kind of belief of something else has to change in order for me to be happy, as that releases, there is a heart that is more w- 
more able to engage in the world and does engage in the world. Not from the perspective of hatred and not from the perspective of, of craving, but from the perspective of compassion. And so the, the heart of compassion that, is, that can be revealed as that craving releases, that heart of compassion does want to act or has this, this mo- motion or movement to, to act in the world to alleviate suffering, to change conditions. And so it's a paradox for us to understand this. Um, when the teaching, when there's this teaching of, you know, our suffering is created by, uh, by craving, um, you know, sometimes we, we, we might think it's like, well, that's just saying I'm, I'm to blame for my own suffering. And the, the, um, the understanding, I think, is that there are so many conditions in the world that, of course, we, we respond to and react to. It's very natural that we react to injustice and we react to, um, to, to other people um, hurting each other or the, the, the situations of, of distress and war and violence in the world, that we feel that and want to do something to alleviate that. This is very natural, and yet our, our habitual way of doing it has often to do with a, a constriction of heart, a kind of a tightening of heart, and this is that craving that, that, that this is not... Um, I mean, the mind, the mind it's, it's such a paradox, this, this notion of, of the, the craving that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be, or this is... This is, you know, this is a, a bad thing that's happening in the world. Well, you know, in, from another perspective in the Buddhist understanding, when people are, are acting in a way that will harm each other, that is something that is understood to be unskillful. Even the word evil is used at times in the Buddhist teaching, that when harm is created in that way, that this is, this is not, not helpful and that we should... We should not engage in that. We should not support that. In fact, the movement of heart, uh, the, the open heart wants to uh, act to alleviate that. And so the, 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 the paradox is that as our heart kind of lets go of this kind of clamping down to say, this shouldn't be happening, and the, the mind kind of relaxes and recognizes this is what's happening without, without kind of pushing, denying, um, fleeing, but, but can actually really meet that condition in the world with a heart that is not hard, but a heart that is more resonant. The very resonance of that heart does want to do something. So it, it, seems, it seems, you know, almost co- contradictory or something that the, as that craving to, uh, to get rid of something or to fix something or change something, as that releases, there's a different kind of movement and aspiration to act in the world that comes in to do the very same thing, to alleviate that suffering but from a very different heart, a very different perspective. 
And so this is this this uh, this tightening of the heart, this craving, this um, uh, the way the mind is brittle or fighting against what is already here. This is the piece that my understanding of what the second noble truth is pointing to, this, this craving. And the release from that craving, that it takes some trust in a way to, to have the courage to let go of that or to begin to be curious about that craving, to not buy into it. That it takes courage to not buy into that craving because it's so much the way we think things have have happened in the world. How we get things done is through that, that motivation of craving. And so it takes some courage and some, and some trust to explore the possibility of familiarity with that craving and seeing how much pain it cr- creates. The, 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 the arising of craving is the arising of this dukkha. This is, this is what the second noble truth points to. The arising of craving is the arising of dukkha. And so as that craving arises, there is dukkha. And as we uh, explore our experience, we get to see, we get to familiar with that experience of craving. We see that it is suffering in the moment. Habitually, our mind is kind of projecting into the future when we are craving. If we are craving and we, we think it's serving us, and, 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 and we do, we, we believe that it's valuable in some way or we wouldn't be doing it. And part of the way we, we are convinced that it's valuable is that we've seen that when we've done something from this perspective, things have changed and we've kind of gotten what we wanted. Um, but the, but the, the way that works is that we are kind of projecting into the future, thinking about this is what I'm going to get. This is how it's going to be. This is the way I want it to be. And the way to get there is to, to, to change these things and fix these things. But again, from this perspective of, of the tightness of heart, not from the, the open-hearted resonance of, oh, this could change and that could change. But no, this has got to change and this has got to change, more with a, a, a resistance and aversion and fear and confusion. And so the mind, is, the mind is projecting into the future to how it will be and is actually missing that the, that the craving itself is, is already painful in the heart. And so this begins... The seeing of the craving itself, the wanting itself, begins to help the mind to understand the possibility of maybe a different way of acting is possible in the world. And we see the, the, the pain of that motivation of craving. And when, when we see that, our, 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 our system kind of wants to move in the direction of not feeling that suffering, not having that suffering, that our system is designed in a way to move in the direction of well-being. And so when we, with mindfulness, begin to get the sense or the, the recognition experientially of the pain that's created, of the suffering that's created with the craving, the mind begins to navigate its way to letting that go and in at times we might we might see the letting go of that craving and then begin to see there are there are other beautiful qualities that do motivate us 
And so in, in those shifts we see, oh, there is another way. There's another way to be in the world. And the heart does not have to be hardened. And so this, uh, this is, I think, what the Buddha was pointing to around the craving and the releasing of the craving, the letting go of the craving, he says, is the ending of dukkha. And it's quite, it's quite amazing, just a little taste that we get around seeing craving release. You know, just, let's just take a simple example um, around pain in the body. You know, when we have something pain in the body, uh, you know, we've cut ourselves with a knife or fallen down and broken our foot or bruised our knee or something. There's some pain in the body. There's often, there's the physical pain, there's the unpleasantness of that. There's that objective situation of pain. And then there's often a relationship to that. This is not okay. I don't like this. I want this to not be here. I hate this. Why did I have to have fallen down? Or that was so stupid that I did that. Or, or why did that person have to get in my way? We put the blame on somebody else. And so we, we, we have this extra stuff going on. And the, so there's the, the physical thing that's happening, the, 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 the sensation of unpleasantness. And then there's this mental stuff that's going on. And that mental stuff gets up, up to a lot. You know, it's not only a kind of a resistance, but it's, it's, it's a berating ourselves or others. There's aversion, there's fear, there's confusion. All kinds of things go on in the mind in relationship to that experience. And, and what happens then is that we've got not only the physical pain, but all this mental stuff going on. And often, most often, that mental stuff can also be unpleasant. Aversion, craving, a fear, confusion. There's unpleasantness there. And the way these interact, it's, it's like the, the, the uh, merging of those two, of the physical pain and the mental reactivity to the pain, is like taking a microphone and putting it up against a speaker. It's a feedback loop, a very rapid feedback loop that, that creates the experience of a screaming painful situation that then we become even more reactive to really got to get rid of this and so the the mental reactivity to the physical pain is a huge part of what we are calling the suffering and as we we get curious about this whole process and 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 you could play with this if you have some maybe slightly unpleasant thing. You know, when there's a major unpleasant thing, we, we need to take care of it. I mean, I cut myself, I cut myself with a knife at one point. I was doing a, a retreat at home and, and um, realized I needed to get to the hospital because it was enough that it needed stitches. And I, but I was pretty calm, you know. I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is what's happening. And, 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 and so I put some pressure on it and went and knocked on, on my neighbor's door and said, you know, I cut my finger and I need to get to the hospital. What about that tone of voice? And, and her response was, oh, my God, don't panic. <laughs> and so, that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, that, that there, was, there was very little reactivity in my mind, and but yet the situation created some, some reactivity in somebody else's mind. So that reactivity, you know, when there was not a lot of reactivity, there was a physical pain. 
But it was just like, you know, it's, so this is an example too. So no craving, no tightening, hardening of the heart here around this. It's like, oh, this is what happened. Got to take care of it. So it wasn't that I just sat there and like watched myself bleed when there wasn't craving. There was this movement to knock on my neighbor's door and get to the hospital to get this stitched up. So that just seeing this possibility for action coming from a different place. So as we start to see this, this feedback loop between the physical experience and the mental experience, we can begin to see the optional piece around the mental and maybe even, at times, see it let go. And that's, that's kind of a little taste of the third noble truth. The, the releasing of the craving is the ending of suffering. That that's possible. And that when that happens, e- even around something simple like um, physical experience like that, a physical pain, what we see is that the vast majority of what we call suffering lies not in the situation, but in our own response. And so the the freeing from that craving, it, it brings a whole new perspective on the world. And then the Buddha talked about how to do this. How do we... How do we come to understand suffering? This, this first noble truth of there is suffering. The Buddha said this needs to be understood. This needs to be understood. And the, uh, the path to do that, how we understand suffering, is th- what the Buddha taught in the Noble Eightfold Path. Wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. So this is a a set of tools, essentially, that help us to meet our experience. It it consists of a perspective of curiosity of how we look at experience, the the first part of the Eightfold Path of wise view and wise intention. It's kind of an orientation towards towards our our experience. Maybe a, a holding of the perspective of maybe there's another way to act rather than out of this, this hard heart or this, this tight heart. Maybe there's another way to be in the world. And the curiosity around, well, what, what is this suffering? What is this experience? So this is a, you know, a very simple stating of the perspective of wise view and wise intention. And then the ethical realm of how we engage in our relationships. This is also a part of our path to not add suffering to the world, to not harm, to engage in 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 speech and action and livelihood that doesn't add, add um, harm to the world. And then the, the aspect of cultivating our mind, this is an important part for us to actually begin to understand experientially what this suffering is. So wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration are those, those tools that we can begin to explore our experience from a different perspective. So this is a, this is the piece, a piece that I wanted to, to point to today. The first noble truth the Buddha talked about understanding suffering. And what is that understanding? The word understand often we think means an intellectual understanding. And there's some of that that needs to happen. Just this, this, uh, 
framing of what the, the Buddha taught around um, craving and that craving and suffering come up together so that the, the, the freeing ourselves from craving is of interest, perhaps. That if we even have that level of intellectual understanding, then the, the, the path points us to not thinking about why am I suffering, not trying to figure it out in terms of, well, what's going on in terms of the history, the history of our country, the history of the world, the history of the universe, the history of my family, the history of um, my culture, all of these things. Not to, not to think about it so much, but but to enter into what is this experience right now? To use wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration to be curious about this experience now, this experience of suffering. What is this? How is it happening now? There are external conditions that are contributing. That's one piece of it. And there are internal conditions that are contributing, and that's, the, that's another piece of it. And the Buddha pointed us to the understanding of the internal piece, partly because this is where there's some possibility of shifting there's more possibility of shifting internally by exploring things in a new way. To have some ease of heart, to bring that ease of heart to engagement in the world. I mean, we, we affect each other in the world. So as we engage in the world in a new way, it, it has a different effect. There's one place... Um, Hatred never ceases through hatred. Through love alone does it end. This is an ancient law. This is a, a, st- a statement in the, Dhamma, in the Dhammapada. It, it kind of points to the, the way that when we are engaging in, in our usual ways through craving habitually, it just tends to reinforce those patterns, not only internally, but externally. And we know this when we when we meet somebody who's angry, it tends to evoke anger in us. And when we, um, when we have some anger, we often find it met by anger. This is, this is a very common response to happen. And if we can flip that, if we can flip, sometimes it's called flipping the script. I've heard this is a new language <laughs> around this. To, to meet that kind of energy with a different perspective, with a heart that's open, with compassion and kindness and caring, something different can happen. And so the understanding that the Buddha was pointing to is not an intellectual understanding, but an understanding of the experience. What is this experience of suffering? When I feel like I'm suffering, what's going on? So that understanding, as we begin to look into it, as we begin to meet it with mindfulness, and so this is really where mindfulness comes in. It's, a, it's the tool that lets us investigate our experience directly. And so this is the understanding that the Buddha was pointing to. What is this experience of suffering? And as we, we explore with mindfulness, bringing our attention to it, we start to see how the craving is participating. And that's 
So the understanding of suffering, the first noble truth, our encouragement is to understand it. As we start to explore suffering from this experiential perspective, we do start to see this, this little seed inside of this craving. And yes, there are things going on in the world that do need to change. This is, is not saying that, that, this is, that, that this is that we don't act to change things in the world. But we also need to understand our own relationship really clearly and what's going on inside. And that's really, that's really where, where we can... Uh, the conditions... There's so much more traction for con- changing the conditions in our own mind with the, the uh, addition of mindfulness and wisdom than there is for... Uh, changing things outside through through action, and then p- paradoxically, as we change internally, our actions in the world change things externally. Maybe not quickly, but there is this uh, this kind of feedback loop that we have with each other—a wholesome feedback loop. Because the there, not only is there this unwholesome feedback loop around, you know pain and, um, uh, and reactivity to pain, that that tends to increase that. But also as we start to recognize the benefit of wholesome states, there's a feedback loop in that direction as well. Partly again because of our, our system wanting to incline towards the wholesome, incline towards well-being. So this, um, this second noble truth as we begin to see... Uh, how suffering is put together, we start to recognize that suffering is not, that our experience of suffering, it's not, um, it's not random. That there are conditions in our mind, so that the craving, in fact, that the craving itself, the, the, the movement towards this, this tightening of heart, this constriction to, to resist the world and want to hold on to things. Because the craving has both sides. It's, it's wanting, to, wanting to hold on to things that we like, wanting to get rid of things that we don't like, this, this push-pull around our experience. There are conditions for that as well. It's not random in our lives. And in fact, you know, we've, we've, we've often, um, you know, our cultures... Uh, encourage us to crave. Our cultures tell us this is how you find happiness. Our cultures tell us get these pleasant things, get rid of these unpleasant things. That's how you'll be happy. And there is a kind of happiness that comes with that. <clears throat> the, the the Buddha pointed to that. He didn't he didn't say that that's not there's not a form of happiness that comes from getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want. But what he pointed to is. That it is that 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 happiness that comes from getting what we want, the, the the acting on that craving and getting what we want, the happiness that comes from getting rid of things that we don't want, that acting on that aversion, is a very um, ephemeral kind of happiness. It doesn't last that long. And he pointed to a deeper kind of happiness that's possible, that comes with that shift of heart 
of the releasing of the craving. And so this uh, exploration, the, the mindfulness around um, suffering begins to point out this constriction inside, the wanting, the views, the beliefs that are associated with it. And this is an exploration. So, And I'd encourage, you know, to begin, it can be helpful to explore this kind of direct meeting of the craving itself in a simple situation, in a, in a situation that's not so charged. There's different levels of, of craving. I mean, there are certain situations where, you know, it's not, the, it's, we can't wait, essentially, for the craving to release before we act. We have to take action. It, you know, somebody in an in abusive situation you know, it's just, it, it, the, the craving around that, there, there probably is some tightness and hatred and hardening of heart around that, but there's also the movement of, of needing to, um, you know, take care of oneself, that, that, that shift of you know, needing to, to get oneself out of a harmful situation, that's also in there. So there's a mixture. We have mixed motivations some of the motivations in that situation to want to flee or get out of that have to do with compassion and taking care of oneself. They're, they're wholesome motivations. And then, of course, there are also these, because we've been conditioned in this direction, there are going to be these resisting and hardened motivations as well. And, and we, we probably are not going to be able to, in all of our situations in life, wait until the, the reactivity goes before we take an action probably not going to be able to do that. And so we have to, we have to both have some compassion for ourselves for, for that situation. And, and maybe, you know, it might be possible to recognize, yeah, wow, there is some, there is some real hatred here and there is a need to act. I need to act right now. I need to, to, to prevent further harm here. I need to pre- prevent this, this person from from harming me more and so getting out of the situation. So there, there are going to be mixed motivations and to, to recognize, it's, it's, it's helpful to recognize that there are these mixed motivations and that there are some of them that are, that are constricting and hardening and some of them that are, that are more um, connected to well-being. You know, the, the, the compassion and the, the, the care for ourselves and our families that those are also in there. I think very much, I might have talked about this recently, but um, so I'll just do it briefly today, is very much whenever there's suffering, so whenever this craving is happening, this, uh, this hardening of the heart, often that hardening seems to come because there's this kind of combination of the wish in our hearts for ease of heart, you know, the, the, the wish to have happiness, the wish to have safety, the wish to be able to take care of ourselves with ease, the wish to have health. Those are wholesome wishes for ourselves and for our families. And those, we will act out of those wishes. It's, 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 that's the movement towards taking care of ourselves. So the, there, is this, the, there are these threads of our heart that come from that, that mo- motivation of, of love and compassion. And then there's the situation in the world. There's the, the 
impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable situations that happen. And these two kind of get tangled up. They get knotted up. Because there's this, this seeming conflict and contradiction that the uncontrollable nature of the world is butting up against the desire to be safe and healthy and happy. And it, 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 we, get, we get frustrated, we get confused, we get, we get tangled, we, we, we get uh, hard about that conflict. And so there's kind of a knot that happens. And the, the knot is the craving. The knotting up of those kind of two realities, the, the reality of our heart wishing to be happy and healthy and safe and at ease, that wholesome wish, that beautiful expression of love and care and connection, and the truths of impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, and the tangle that happens there. The tangle is the craving. The tangle is the hardness. And the understanding of that situation, we begin to see the, the kind of the, the way in which our mind is contributing to the knotting, essentially. You know, the, the mind is doing this knotting with that craving. And the seeing of that we begin to, it, it, the seeing of the, the craving, um, we begin to uh, recognize that it's, it's what's tying the knot up, essentially. And the, the, it's like we don't know how to untie the knot. It's really complicated. It's, it's a tangle. I mean, if you, you, try to untangle, I, you try to untangle something that's really tangled, it's, uh, it's hard, you know? It's not, it's, it's, they're, they're so, it's such a mess. And so we don't know how to do that. You know, our minds, our conscious minds don't really know how to untangle that tangle. And yet what seems to be true, what seems to happen is that Holding that tangle, we can think of maybe putting that tangle in a in a bath that's that's kind of lubricant, and maybe swishing it around a little bit. Maybe the maybe the the tangle can untangle itself because there's lubrication there. This is kind of what seems to happen: is that with the the approach of mindfulness and wisdom of of being curious about what is this experience. What is this experience? What is this hardening? What is this not? We, we start to see the, the, the wanting, the resistance, the pushing, the pulling. And the, the way that our system seems to work is that there seems to be deep in our processes, deep in the way that our system works, is that when it understands or when we see with mindfulness, the, the way that that tangle is working, something, a, a kind of wisdom deep in our system understands how to untangle it. But we cannot figure that out. And so it's a lot of trust. There is a lot of trust here to kind of be willing to sit with the mess of that and learn something about it. 
we learn about how painful that constriction is. We also see the love in there. We also recognize the unreliability, the uncontrollability of experience. We see it all. We see the whole mess of it. And, and what seems to happen, that we, we kind of have to trust happening, is that the, the tangle begins to untangle. And then we find that we can live in life with a weave between these two, with a weave between the love and this, these truths. Our mind somehow thinks they can't interweave and we can't live with both of them. We, we, you know, there's, there's these b- beliefs in there and I've kind of seen it in my own mind. It's like, well, if I really, if I want to be given that this truth of uncontrollability, that this is true, then I shouldn't want to be okay. I shouldn't want to be happy. That, that, that That's where the problem is. I want to be happy, and that's wrong. That's not, that's, not what I, what, that's not what I should be doing. I've got to get rid of that wanting to be happy. But that wanting to be happy is connected with this mo- internal uh, movement towards love, and that is not going to go away. Or we might feeling like that this connection with this, this resonance of, of love and care, that, that somehow the world is betraying us with these truths. Somehow the wisdom of our being can integrate these two without a tangle, but that they can interweave. And in that interweaving, our heart will be much more moving in the world, not from reactivity, but from a caring and a love and a compassion and a wisdom and a generosity and a curiosity and, a, and, and equanimity. So the structure of seeing this as we, as we watch this, one of the key pieces that we see, and I'll, I'll talk more about this next week, um, but I'll just drop it in a little bit right now and then open it to comments and questions. One of the key pieces that we see is how when there's something unpleasant happening, we tend to have an aversive relationship to that. And when there's something pleasant happening, we tend to have a, a, a greedy relationship to that. And this defines a lot of how we engage in the world. We might begin to recognize through this willingness to be with our experience, as I did with this cut on my finger. It's like, wow, yeah, that's painful. You know, that just the pain. We might be able to recognize, yes, this situation is painful. And yet not needing to add the aversion to it. We, we begin to understand that the, the aversion, the greed is extra. So we can see that there's this unpleasantness happening and the mind's relationship to it. And seeing that relationship we see that, these, the, that the, the pleasantness or unpleasantness is kind of entangled with the relationship. And we, we, we might think that they, they, they come together, that there's no way that they, they not come together. I've certainly seen this, that you know, when I have a, a painful experience, it's like the body kind of clamps down and it it's, it's, it's almost feels automatic that it does this, that, the, that there's this immediate kind of aversion. 
And so it takes some patience to, to be curious about this, to notice, okay, what is the actual experience? This is one really useful tool around this looking at the cravings. Like, what's the actual experience? This is the situation. This is the painful experience. This is the objective kind of what's going on. And here's the relationship to it. So that, that, so that the, the experience and the relationship can begin to be seen as separate. So much of our relationship to experience is conditioned by our history. And we don't often see it as optional or as extra. It just seems like this is how things are. And so this practice of being curious about the, uh, the craving and the, um, uh, the, I mean, the, the unpleasantness or the pleasantness and the craving relationship to it, we begin to see that they are separate. And that's the first piece, is that we recognize, okay, yep, there's this painful situation and there's this mental reaction. These are not the same. And that's the beginning of understanding. Because so often we have them conflated. We think that they're, they're inherently tied together and there's no way to, to separate them. And as we begin to be able to, to see, oh, these are different, then our mind begins to recognize potentially that there are other ways of relating to that same experience. The mind may begin to, to see um, strengthening or weakening of that relationship and recognize what happens to the whole experience as that, as that um, relationships get stronger, as the, as, like for instance with something unpleasant happening. When the aversion gets stronger, we see the entire experience, like the screaming of that, of that uh, feedback loop with the, the mic in front of the speaker. As the aversion gets stronger, the whole painful, the whole experience gets so painful as the aversion gets weaker, there's much more of a sense of, oh, okay, I see there's a, maybe a different way to respond here. Different, different way to relate to that. So the, the seeing the difference between the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral experience and the mind's relationship to it is a, is a big part of this understanding that begins to happen. And as the mind sees that they're different, Again, this kind of inner understanding, this inner wisdom, this, this inner kind of movement towards well-being begins to help us to release what's extra. It begins to help us to release the extra reactivity. And we do find our way to a different relationship to the experience. So... I will continue this topic of the second noble truth next week, but are there comments or questions or anything that you'd like to to share? And I need to get a mic. Oh, great, thanks. Anyone have any comments about
I, I have a lot of trouble wrapping my brain around. I, I think in my mind I'm, I'm differentiating a little bit between the suffering by my craving for something to go my way, a person to do what I want or have a boat or whatever, between that kind of craving and the craving that um, doesn't want to see someone suffer, especially on a yeah. mass scale. Like I haven't run into much of that in my life, but I, I don't know. It just, there's, just seems like a different nuance of watching someone else suffer, not wanting to see that when it's a really big kind of suffering. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, this is a, I think a lot of us have this kind of question um, around that. I mean, it, it, it seems um, like if I didn't, the, the, the belief kind of in that craving is if I didn't hate this situation, for instance, then I wouldn't care. It's almost, it's almost kind of got that flavor in it somehow. Um, and so the, you know, the, the there, it, it's very natural, especially when, when there is, you know, seeing somebody else be harmed. I mean, the heart immediately, like, feels the pain of that. That is, that is part of how we're designed, too. When we see suffering in the world, somebody, somebody suffering, there's a kind of a resonance. We're designed to resonate in that way. And, and in fact, we kind of have to block down, harden down, and, and have a kind of a, a, a craving of, of not wanting to see in order not to feel that sometimes. You know, that, that, that that's a movement sometimes. If it gets too overwhelming, we can block down on it. Um, but the, our system is designed to to resonate in this way, especially with other, other human beings, but also with animals, I think. We, we resonate. When we see pain, we feel pain. And so the, um, that's not going to go away. That is, that is natural. And the, the, you know, the, um, the craving for, I mean, some, some of, I think, the craving around this comes to, um, you know, the feeling of it's connected it's connected with harm is happening in the world and again the kind of natural movement to want to not have harm happening in the world is a wholesome movement and so i think the confusion is again that it's 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 tied up with something that's wholesome it's tied up with that wholesome wish for not having this happen and and so the that wholesome wish to not have this happen can be very, very strong. There can be a, a really, a kind of a firm like, you know, no, this should not be happening in the world. And yet the confusion might be that that, that no, this should not be happening in the world is inherently tied up with a, a kind of a hatred or a, a, a kind of a, the hardening of the heart. And so the, you know, the no, this should not be happening in the world can also be there when there is um, a heart that's open. It feels different. In my, in my experience, when the heart is not um, like hating or craving the, 
the situation or, or not, not, not having that kind of extra piece added around the situation, in some ways the, the feeling in the heart, it's even, it's even more painful when there's not the craving. And, and there's even more of that motivation to, to take action. So, but it feels very different whether there, you know, when that hardening of the heart is there, it hurts in a different way than the meeting of the suffering when we see suffering in the world. And, and our heart is not hard, but it's, it's open. To me, it kind of feels more like it's a resonant pain. And the heart, the heart aches in a way, but it's not, it's not tight. And so th- there, there's a difference in the two in that way. So is that feeling of hatred maybe something that can help us differentiate? I think when you said that, I could kind of get that sometimes that's there and then sometimes it's not there. Yes. Even though I don't like it happening, it's not this sense of huge hatred about it. Yeah, and I think that it is the, it's the hardening of the heart, the hatred, the... That, that that's, that's, that is extra. And yet we're not going to just be able to say, oh, that's extra, let it go. It's like what we have to do is to, is to like respect that in a way and honor it and open to it and see can we understand that hatred. Can, can we, and, and also potentially, you know, given that we see the, the movement to alleviating harm in the world, to see if we can act kind of more connected with that side of our motivation in a way, even as the, the hatred is there. So we have to stop. It's time to stop. So um, more about this. There's a lot to talk about with this. So thank you. <laughs>